Welcome to Two Penny Blog, where I share my two cents with anyone who cares. This is Pastor Lou Florio. What follows is a sermon given at Christ Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia on February 19th, 2023. It was Transfiguration Sunday. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, beginning with the 16th chapter. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. With whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, some of you may have read the story by Antoine de saint Exupéry called The Little Prince. If you haven't, you've probably heard that title, The Little Prince, before. After 80 years in print, it's still considered a masterpiece for its exploration of the themes of loneliness and love, loss and friendship. It's said to reflect the ever-changing nature of life, And thus it resonates with many, no matter our age. The narrator begins weaving this tale by pointing out something important. Grown-ups often struggle to identify important things as they truly are, or perhaps can be, even when the truth lies right before them. As the story unfolds, we learn of a young prince visiting various planets in space, including the Earth, It's a fanciful story in many ways, perhaps seeming kind of obscure or obtuse to some, but there is much wisdom to be found in its pages. On one stop of the recorded adventures, the little prince visits a small world with a great king, or at least he thinks he's great. The king is the first grown-up the little prince meets, and the king exemplifies the often foolish desire of grown-ups to be obeyed 
to be in control of life. This need in the king is so great that he will revise his orders endlessly just to make whatever's happening around him seem like he's the cause, that it's his authority having this happen. He wants to be in control. And in trying to prove his authority and benevolence, he offers the little prince the role of his minister of justice. But the little prince looks around and he recognizes there's no one else on this planet, just the king. And he says, there's no one here for me to judge. And here, unwittingly and ironically, this king speaks a great truth. He says, it's much more difficult to judge oneself than to judge others. If you succeed in judging yourself rightly, then you're indeed a man of true wisdom. Sadly, we see that the king does not judge himself rightly at all. He's delusional in his feelings of import and power. And yet there's a little bit of the king in all of us as human beings. We can become puffed up, lording over others, as Paul warns against in his letter to the church in Corinth. But perhaps more often for many of us, there's another kind of vanity. We can underestimate our significance, a significance that is based on God's great love for us. Each one of us, with all our liabilities, with all the sin we struggle against, we're invited to become part of the kingdom of God. Not just that, we are told that we are heirs to Christ himself. And that's partly why during the baptismal ritual that you see when we have folks over by the font here or other churches may visit, Traditionally, when that mark of the cross of Christ is made on the forehead, it's using olive oil. And it's reminding us of the prophets as they're anointed before they go out, the kings as they're anointed before they go out, the knights as they go. We are being sent on a mission. We're being anointed. And the pastor says to you, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. You might look the same. You might feel the same, but what the church is trying to remind you of, to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, is that you are not the same. You are part of God's plan in a special, more intimate way through your faith in baptism. God promises to be with you through the power of the Holy Spirit every step of your journey. Yet we aren't the first ones to underestimate ourselves. The early church did too. When Matthew first shared his story of the transfiguration in his gospel, it was likely sometime between the years 80 and 90 AD. So let's think about what was going on around that time. The first Christians who were Jews, and that's mainly who um, Matthew's audience was, was Jewish Christians, They initially expected to continue worshiping in the synagogues and even in the temple. After all, Jesus had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, not get rid of them. Yet against expectations, even though Jesus tried to warn them, they found themselves thrown out of the synagogue communities and often persecuted. And as for the kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem, by this time... The Romans had grown tired of its rebellious ways 
And so the Romans crushed the nation, destroyed the temple, and carted off all its treasures in 70 AD. Some of those treasures were used to build the Colosseum in Rome. A great diaspora spreading out, an exile of the Jews began. They were forced to leave their homeland and only a few remained. So by the time of Mark's gospel, faithful people were asking, what's God doing? If not doing, what is God allowing? Where is God? Many felt confused and powerless. Yes, it seemed an apocalyptic time. You know what I mean, right? Human sacrifices, dog and cats living together, mass hysteria. Okay, that's from Ghostbusters, not the Bible, but I I hope you understand what I'm getting at is that people in their great alarm started to feel the world was ending. Their expectations were shattered. Things were profoundly wrong. And many Christians were doubting and afraid. Some were walking away. It seemed again like the end of the world. Rome was a threat. Jews who did not believe in Jesus could be a threat. Christians were even fighting or at least arguing among themselves about what to do with Gentile believers. How is that going to change their faith and their practice of it? But also how Jewish should the church remain? Their identity was threatened. My goodness, even the temple, a sign of God's presence among God's chosen people, was no more. It was not just the temple that was rocked off its foundations by all this. The Jewish people and the church were too. They were drifting. Here, Professor Arnold, uh, Ronald Allen of the Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis rightly points out, That Matthew writes the first gospel in part because some of the congregation are losing confidence in the coming of the kingdom. Some are drifting away. Matthew shapes the narrative of the first gospel to encourage them to remain faithful even in the midst of the fractiousness of their moment in history. Matthew, for his part, wants the community to interpret their struggles beyond and within the congregation as suffering on behalf of the kingdom. On suffering on behalf of the kingdom. God will use, repurpose, and redeem their suffering. He continues that at the transfiguration, God gives the Matthean church a vision of the future. Jesus as he'll be on the day God resurrects him, And as he will be when he returns to complete the work of replacing the old world with the new. That's right. It's a preview of the end time when Jesus comes again. And for the modern church, the afflicted church amidst growing doubt, with people losing heart, if not faith, sometimes wandering away, with threats from powers of this world all around us, This is where we also find ourselves. We are in that in-between time. Jesus is risen and ascended, but not yet returned to finish his work. The kingdom has broken into our world in a very real way, but it's not in its fullness. And so suffering still happens. Death still happens. 
We are left here awaiting the day when all tears will be wiped away. Facing this reality, like the Mathean church, we might ask God, what are you thinking? We might wonder even if being a Christian is worth it at times. Following Jesus, doing the right thing, risking rejection, that can be scary. Yet in response, we hear God's word speaking directly to us, just as God did to the earliest persecuted, suffering, doubting, struggling with sin church that came before us. This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Trust in him. God's asking us to see what we're going through in a new way. To see ourselves in a new way. Not with arrogance, but with spiritual maturity and bravery and humility. It's much like what the fox and the little prince tries to teach. It's only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. This is the truth of the gospel, such as when Thomas learns that he must stop doubting and believe as his hands touch Jesus' wounded side. Or when Paul boldly proclaims, we must live by faith and not by sight. This is an eternal truth that's being revealed to us, that something more is going on in us and through us and around us, thanks be to God, than we often can comprehend. We cannot always recognize God at work. That's why Luther often calls God our hidden God. We cannot often fully understand what's really happening, how everything will work together for our good is promised, and that's why we're not ourselves called God. Yet God promises to be with us and to use us and to free us. That, my friends, is God's will, that will which Jesus taught us to pray for. And so there are powerful transforming implications of the transfiguration playing out every time we seek to love another in Christ's name or forgive or when we ask to be forgiven or when we must sacrifice or even suffer in faith out of love for others or God. It's like the painting from Raphael of the Transfiguration. I shared it on uh, before our Monday night Bible study on Facebook and you can still find it there or just look up Raphael Transfiguration. And in that painting, the artist discerns uh, that he should do something special. Up on the top section of the painting is Jesus in all his glory, Elijah and Moses with him, and his friends, some of the apostles. But juxtaposed to this, just underneath, we see Matthew pointing to members of the church. And there we see those disciples healing a demon-possessed boy. Performing a miracle in Christ's name. The boy's healing testifies to Christ's power displayed in the transfiguration alive in the church today. Alive in your and my lives today. In you and me. That same power. Just waiting to be lived out if we can only hold on in faith. If we can only dare to take those risks to follow Jesus as hard as it might be. With our adult eyes, surrounded by what we might be tempted to call reality, we might struggle to see things as they truly are and can be, see them as Jesus does. 
We have been chosen. We have been called for a time like this. That's why you were born for this time, this place with a special thing to do. Just as Jesus' friends were told that they could not stay up on that mountaintop, we too have work to do. We must go down into the valley because of the shadow of death that's there. Not despite of, but because of the shadow of death right there. Because you are God's answer, reflecting Jesus, sharing his power. You are the answer to that shadow of death. God's light alive in you. Now, I know it's easier up on the mountaintop. Those times that we see God more clearly, sense joy and love more fully, maybe even experience God's peace. I would love to keep the pain of life away. But that isn't why Jesus came. He submitted to the pain of this world too. Nor is it why we were created and called. To avoid pain. To avoid suffering. It's in following Jesus that Christ becomes our life. And we begin to share concretely in his glory. And what he has taught us today, as you see in the scripture... Right before the transfiguration, this includes bearing our crosses, just like Jesus did. Therefore, we must understand that nothing should stop us from following Jesus. Not our stupid, most embarrassing sins, nor torments brought on by memories of a recent or a distant past. Much like low self-esteem or low confidence may cause us to hide ourselves away from social situations or cause us to stop trying new things or avoid that which we find challenging, a lack of faith, a lack of trust in Jesus can do the same thing. Yet remember, when we face those times of doubts and darkness, we are promised that the Holy Spirit comes to help us in our weakness. Hold on to that promise. Grasp it hard. No life that God created and called is meaningless, no matter our education, our abilities, our age, our station, or our situation. For with every relationship and every person we meet, others, people who suffer and doubt just like we do, our lives and love might become a lifeline of hope, a lifeline to Jesus himself, And that's a great miracle. What miracles will you see this week? Child of God. Not grown up of God. Child of God. You are certainly, absolutely going to be provided opportunities to see yourself in this world in a new way. To see Jesus at work through the love that you try to share. Facing the enormity of the little prince's grief at the loss of just one rose that he loved, feeling his own limitations, the narrator in the book says, it is such a secret place, the land of tears. Through the transfiguration, Jesus seeks to remind us that this land of tears we find ourselves in as secret and beyond comprehension as it might seem at times, is meant to become a sacred place. And it will, as we watch, as we wait, as we seek to love and serve one another and our Lord.
Oh yes, Jesus is coming back. Don't you doubt it. But child of God, don't you see? Don't you hear? Jesus is never missing in action. He's alive through the faith, the hope, and the love that we dare to try to share as church despite any odds. Children of God, let's listen to that king. Let us judge ourselves rightly. There's important work for all of us to do in Christ's name. Wherever and and whenever we find ourselves, no matter how bad things get, Christ is there too. And as Jesus declared in the Beatitudes, we remain blessed. Amen. Christ Lutheran Church, where I serve as associate pastor, please visit us at christ-lutheran-church.org. Unless otherwise indicated, all scripture quotations for this post are from the New Revised Standard Version, or NRSV, translation of the Bible. This reflection is copyright 2023 by the Reverend Louis Florio. All content not held under another's copyright may not be used without permission of the author. Thanks for listening, and come back soon.